we've gotten some questions in the mail. I, I don't want to do all of them, but let me just read this one. I can <clears throat> start off with this. And I still have a sense of struggle and at times a great weariness with the world. The feeling of struggle comes from the shuttling back and forth between the time of prayer, which is so beautiful and comfortable, and the world. I know I know who I am and who's within my heart when I rest, and I want to be there always. Then I get caught up in the world, and I get caught up in the work that has to be done, and whatever problem may be. And she goes on about this. I think we know this feeling well. The struggle uh, and this dichotomy between our times of pausing when everything seems to be so clear. And then we, we go out into the world and we lose it within seconds. Something happens. The most effective single thing that I know to do when you've lost it, when you've gotten angry, when someone has criticized you, or when there's something that's going undone and the, and the, and the time is approaching very rapidly, is to pause and just look at everything as closely and as steadily and as calmly as you can. There, there's some little devices that you can use. We've talked about them here before. Let me go over them again. One is to simply begin listing everything that you are aware of. Just if you want to do this verbally to yourself, you can do so. For for example, right now, you may be um, aware of, of the sensation of your arms crossed. <laughs> I see there are a lot of people out there with their arms crossed. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you're aware of the weight of uh, your clothes. You're aware of uh, the, the sensation of sitting in the chair, these very comfortable, posh chairs. Uh, people come here just to sit in these chairs. <laughs> if you are very angry, or if, or if suddenly something's happened and you can't get your mind off of it, or if there's some deadline and it's... You see, what happens when we are under tension is that all of our ego faults come to the surface, or, or a lot of them do. And this is a, a very good thing to remember when someone is acting a way that we don't want them to do, especially someone we know very well, and suddenly we see all their faults. It's because they are under some sort of tension, and what happens when we, are, when we feel this tension, we go back to our ego personality this thing that was developed uh, as a child and 
has been added to as, as we've gone along. This whole way of, of being, these whole set of moods and opinions and traits and limitations, this, uh, this, this ball of, uh, of unhappiness, but it's quite specific, these personality traits. And so suddenly we're, in, we're under tension and we go back and we plug into all of this and it controls us. Now we are reacting to everything that's said, to everything that we see from our ego past. And it's as if everything assaults us now. We don't like anything and, and, and we're trying to escape because our period of meditation is so fresh in our mind. We want to be back there. And it seems absolutely hopeless, and so the tension just increases. Now, the reason that the tension increases and the thing gets so frustrating, and if this happens enough to someone, they can step away from a spiritual path, especially if they're very new on a spiritual path, because they associate all of this with the spiritual path. And they're right. It is the recognition of this dichotomy that causes the discomfort. Once you begin feeling the peace of God, now you don't know what's real. It's, it's a very confusing state there in the beginning. And, and you don't know what you want. You still want a lot of things in the world, and yet you want this peace. And somehow you think you can have both of them and, and do a sort of juggling match. And of course this isn't possible. And the mistake that we make is, is to try to ferret out all of these faults that we have. All these ego traits. And try to deal with them one at a time. Now you can get home by doing that. But it takes a very, very long time. And at this particular history, this particular point in history, what is coming to this planet is a series of very gentle suggestions as to how to save time. Because the world has asked for it. The world is very old now and tired. It's gone through this a very, very long time. And everyone's beginning to become aware that the way we've tried to solve our problems in the past is not working. And there, there is a great weariness with all this. You have gone through this a very long time. You have repeated this many times. And there is within you a deep weariness with all of this. Now what you wish to do, if you want to save yourself time, is to do something simple and direct. And the most simple and direct thing that I know of is to return your mind to this instant. And you can use any trick you need to to do that. Begin just listing the things. Take the anger. If the anger is overwhelming or what this person just did is just so preoccupying you can't get your mind off of, 
then deliberately look at it. You see, the problem is that we look at it out of the corner of our eye, and that's why it controls us. We're trying to do two things. We are conflicted. We want the peace in the meditation. At the same time, we want to let go of this thing this person just did. And we can't have both. So if, if you cannot uh, return your mind to the present, then sit down or break with the situation and then look directly at the anger. Start, start describing the anger to you or the frustration or the fear or the anxiety. List the symptoms in your body. Just say them to yourselves. What, what are they? Your actual identity, the thing that you are waking up to, can be found to some degree in the present, and it cannot be found at all in the past and the future. But you can connect with what you actually are in the present. Now, you won't connect with it fully, but you can begin opening to it. Your ego cannot touch you in the present, and your mind cannot be assaulted in the present. And you cannot be controlled by certain thoughts to the degree that your mind is centered in the present. And so use any trick that you need to. And then drop the questions. Now this is a question and answer period. And <laughs> but true religion has no questions and your and your actual self has no questions and so you you're striving to become questionless that's what you're working to become all questions actually come from the ego, but sometimes they're there anyway. We can't get rid of them, and they're causing us a great deal of, of uh, misery. And so if there is a question, it, it, it probably should be asked. But to the degree that it's possible, realize there's no question about what's going on. We're not talking theology and philosophical points. The use of words is crazy. We have to use words first one way and then another way because what's being described cannot be described in words. And you know that from your meditation. So any question that you want to bring up, uh, this would be the... If you can ask, if you can ask something that's from your heart, this will this will be of help to other people. Yeah. Uh, several weeks ago, you mentioned that in your relationship with Gail, yes. that she carried the relationship for, as you said, uh, twice for a period of a year each time. Right. And I was wondering what you really meant by that, and second, kind of how you felt being the, the focus of her loving concern and how uh, she felt sustaining the relationship for such a period. Actually, I didn't realize at the time she was carrying the relationship. It's, it's in looking back that I saw that. And so if you are in a relationship and it's obvious that you must carry the peace between you, it, 
the other person is not necessarily going to realize the effort that you're making. As a matter of fact, it may be best that they not realize it, because this can lead to just feelings of guilt. Uh, the, the two times that I was referring to happened to coincide with uh, the research that's been done about passages or transitions that come at a particular time in a person's life. And so one of them, for example, was at the, uh, I forget what the, the, the numbers are now, but there's one that takes place between something like uh, 37 to 42, and then there's another one that takes place around uh, 28, uh, something like 24, 20, uh, uh, 26 to, I, I forget the numbers. Forget all that. It doesn't make it up. So happens that uh, I I read some of the research uh, at the time and realized that uh, many of the things that I was experiencing, uh, other men experienced. The original research was done with just men. Uh, and I was experiencing many of the things that uh, the other men were experiencing at this particular time. So the general feeling is that you want to change everything. You're dissatisfied. You have this deep dissatisfaction. You don't know where it's coming from. And, of course, this doesn't happen just at a particular passage or time in our life. It can happen at any instant during the day. So what happens is we feel a deep dissatisfaction and we sort of lash out at everything around us. This is what is so confusing about most human situations that we find ourselves in, most cocktail parties and social events and uh, athletic events and just visiting with friends and the dynamics of a couple at, at home. The thing that's confusing is that the whole thing is being generated by very long-held attitudes and reactions that no one is voicing. They're not even aware most of the time that they're merely acting out some very old reaction. And yet, it seems to be an issue at hand. It seems to be something at hand that's causing it. And what Gail had that I didn't have at that time was a very deep recognition of this bond that was between us. I've told you the story of how uh, we got married. Uh, and uh, somehow we, we both recognized a bond between us, but it, has, it took almost, I guess, 16 years before it was conscious, before we really, it was it, always, it was sort of unconscious, it, it was there. And it was, it was seen to be more present in Gail's uh, heart. Uh, she seemed to be more aware of it than I did. So that during these crazy times in which I wanted to change everything, my appearance, my job, my location, I didn't want to be married anymore, I, you know, whatever it was, everything had to go. She did what she needed to do to keep the relationship together. There, there are no rules about that. She just sensed the importance of the relationship, and she did what was necessary. Now, how does that apply to you? Well, if you, it doesn't mean 
Well, well, see, the problem with, with, with talking about this kind of thing is that people think that there is a particular thing they've got to do to the other person. Are there certain words that they've got to say? And actually, there are relationships that do need to be stepped away from at times. So when I talk about this, oftentimes people get this sort of nostalgic feeling, this longing. They feel this longing and they say, oh gosh, I must keep such and such relationship together. This would be a wonderful thing because we do have this deep longing for, for a more intimate connection with our friends and with, and with the people that we live with. It's a very deep longing. But that longing actually isn't love. It, it comes to some degree from sensing the possibility of love, but it isn't love itself. And so you can see, for example, among old friends, possibly in your life there are people that you get together with from time to time that you've been getting together with for a long time. Now, what can happen, it does not always happen, but what can happen is this can become a mutual condemnation society in which there's this little group of people and all that really goes on is that everybody clucks about everybody else and their phone calls and their, you go out to dinner and it is not a happy situation. What has happened is that the people can no longer see each other. They've got each other pegged and you know how this feels to be pegged. You're around someone and they know how you are. They don't care if you've been going to dispensable church or not. You're, exa you're exactly the way you've always been, and they know it. And everything that you do just confirms this. Well, in a relationship like that, you, even if you're not aware of it, are doing the same thing with them. The pattern wouldn't exist if it weren't mutual. So it goes both ways. Now, the ego thinks that in order to be a loyal friend, you must have periodic physical contact with this person. You've got to go out to dinner with them, you've got to talk to them on the phone, you've got to write them, and so forth. Because the ego equates physical proximity with love, even though it's obvious that we can be very close physically to people that we do not love, it, it disregards. The ego is crazy. <laughs> it, it does not look at the, the evidence and there is no evidence to support this general belief that love has something to do with how much you talk to someone or how many letters you write them or how often you see them it's just obvious it has nothing to do with that so what do you do in a situation like that you sometimes must step away from a relationship like that because it is so difficult for you to be peaceful in that context. And as a matter of fact, it may be impossible for you to be peaceful in that context. Now, the mistake that people make who are not on a spiritual path is that they step away with their heart also. And this you must not do. So perhaps you, you, for a time, you decide you are not going to initiate contact with this person anymore. You're not, or, these, or this group of people. Maybe you'll have a rule like, and I'm not suggesting this, but maybe you'll have a rule like, uh, well, if they call me, I'll see them, but I'm not going to encourage uh, all these meetings and things. 
And then every time the person comes to your heart or the group of people come to your heart, you bless them. Now, this is very important. This is how you remain a true friend. As a matter of fact, what will happen is your love for them will actually grow because you are not around that which symbolizes their ego, which is their body, but in your heart, you're blessing them every time that they come to your mind. And the possibility of a healing in that relationship is actually increased. So that the, when you do see them next, there is such a, a difference in your attitude towards this person that there is now a possibility of a healing. But there may not be a healing. And you're not doing this in order to bring about a healing of the relationship. Someone else want to bring up something? Since Valentine's Day is tomorrow, what's your definition of love? <laughs> <laughs> love is the closest that we can come to love in the beginning is just simple comfort. It's just being comfortable around someone else. Uh, it's an ease. It's a willingness to let the other person be the way they are. Now, it is eventually possible to recognize so deeply that we wish other people's comfort that we will do the thing that A Course in Miracles and uh, suggests and that uh, Jesus suggested, such as uh, walk the extra mile and give the person... Uh, your coat if they ask for your shirt and turn the other cheek and so forth. It is possible for the time to come in which you will sort of be willing to do anything that someone asks you to do because you wish their peace. And the only thing that you would not do for them would be something in which they are requesting their own harm. And of course you wouldn't enter into some self-destructive act but generally speaking, if it's just a preference of what movie do you go to or do we eat this food or do we eat that food tonight? Or what should I wear to the party? Or should we buy this refrigerator or that refrigerator? All of these questions can eventually be, lose their importance because their importance comes from your ego. And suddenly you realize you don't want to have an ego. You don't want to have a preference for a refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, see how demeaning this is? How ridiculous it is to want one refrigerator over another one? <laughs> but in the beginning, this is not possible. And so, love in the beginning is simply the willingness to be comfortable around a particular person, to take them where they are, and to have no desire to change them. And then you add to that. You add to that what we spoke of recently, which is you give everything and you demand nothing. This is, the, this is the, uh, your destination. This is the point towards which you wish to walk. But you do not force yourself to walk that way. You walk that way in every way you can with ease. But if there is a particular area where it's very important, this issue, this worldly thing, come up, 
an opinion on some uh, on nuclear disarmament or whatever it is. Or should we do this with the child or should we do that with the child? If it's very, very important to you and you cannot simply let it go, don't force yourself to act as if you've let it go because you will simply harbor resentment. And there will be something between the two of you now that will go unspoken and it will fester. And this is why people break up after 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You suddenly see this couple and they... Well, it's because they have... The relationship is, is weighted down with all these things that were not handled, that were not spoken of. They were left to fester. So if it is truly of no importance to you, and if even in a meditation, if it took a meditation for you to see this, you could see it's of no importance to you, and you let it go and there's no sense of sacrifice, that does not weight the relationship down. It will not fester. There is no resentment being held there. But you can tell if it really is important and you just acted as if it weren't. Then you might try something. Such as to sit down with the person and tell them that this is very important to you. Now, if you don't have a person that you can sit down with, and a lot of people don't, they're with someone, a spouse or a, a, a child of a certain age or a relative or a roommate. And every time they try to sit down with this person, the other person feels criticized. And they, they get very defensive and it just doesn't work. Then stop trying to sit down with them. Stop trying to bring this up. It's very helpful and it's very good to bring things up that are of deep importance to you or that seem to be of deep importance to you. But it is not good to do that with someone who can't receive that kind of a, of a situation. Then you must try something else to resolve this because so-and-so wants such and you want this other thing and you haven't gotten to the point where you can see it's not important. And so you try something else. Try anything. Try going to a, a counselor and talking about it. Try a particular uh, form of uh, mental uh, imagery. Try uh, reading a, a book on the subject. Try changing your vitamins. It doesn't matter what you try. But try one thing at a time and try it in peace. And don't go running all around for the solution because this is the other mistake that people make. Go to this person and that person and they don't try anything and it's just they just get all caught up. And you say, I want to walk beyond this in our relationship. I want our love to grow. There is an issue. There's a grain of sand between me and this other person. It is irritating me. I cannot sit down with them. It doesn't work. So in peace, you sit down with yourself and you say, what do I want to try? And I promise you, if you will try anything, something simple, and then try something else, and then try something else, you will eventually get around this problem. Because there is no problem. Okay. Someone want to bring something else up? Yeah.
just want to know when to be a warrior, so to speak. Oh, that's good. I'm really glad you asked that. Um, because we've talked so much in this church. The question was, how do you know when to be a warrior? Because there is that Christian tradition. Onward, Christian soul, you know, going as to war. So, okay. Uh, and it, it could, someone could very easily mistake what has been said here because we put so much emphasis on just stillness and looking and always beginning with not doing anything but just looking at, at the problem, looking at this behavior you have or this situation or this feeling or this emotion or this physical problem, just beginning with simply watching it quietly and in peace and not doing anything about it. We've talked about the, the first step in, in gaining control of your mind, which is the only thing there is to do, so that you can keep your mind in the present without any effort. So it's a joy to keep it there. That the first thing to do is to not try to control a single thought, but just to look at the contents of your mind. And so it would be quite easy for people to think, ah, that's all there is to it. No, that's the first step. And probably most of you are not doing even the first step. You're not even spending time just watching, looking, being very conscious of your decisions, being very aware of the contents of your thought. And so I haven't mentioned uh, later steps very much, but let me mention them now because the Christian soldier thing does come up later. All right, let's say that there's a particular, there's a little addiction, or let's say there's a, a personality trait, or there's a, or let's say you get angry quite easily, or whatever it may be. You're working on something. Something has come to your attention, and you now realize this is a source of unhappiness in your life. And you've taken the first step, which is just to watch it. To watch what thoughts are in your mind when it happens, what thoughts were already there when it happened. It's the thought that was already there that actually causes the problem and not the situation that arose at the time the problem exhibit, exhibited itself. But this must be seen. And so you've taken the time to see what thoughts are in your mind. You've taken, what time, uh, you've taken time to see how this particular thing manifests in your life. How, what's the pattern? When does it happen? What's the situation in which it happens? Without trying yet to avoid the situation. Then you've taken the second step that we've mentioned so often here, which is to walk around the problem if you can. So if you see that this particular problem comes up in a certain context, the quick and easy way to keep walking toward the heart of God is to avoid the context. Because what you want is to maintain and to increase your sense of internal comfort and peace and your connection with God. And it's perfectly all right to avoid anything in your life that keeps you, for example, Gail and I just recently discovered it. It wasn't happy for us to go out in the evening and walk around the Vargas Mall. I, somehow we had gotten, it, there, it, obviously this is a, uh, you can see these sort of blissful expressions, couples holding hands and they're walking around and we just had sort of assumed, well, this is a wonderful thing for us to do. And 
suddenly we realized it wasn't wonderful at all. We weren't enjoying this one bit. <laughs> it took a long time for us to finally realize that. So we're just not going to walk around the Vargas Mall. We're not going to make ourselves walk around the Vargas Mall. This isn't the quick and easy way. Remember, quick and easy is profanity to your ego. It does not like those words. So step number two is to walk around the problem. To avoid the situation if you can. Now, of course what you will discover is that certain things are unavoidable. Although you've eliminated a lot of them, there still are certain things that come up that trigger this trait or this little addiction or this anger or depression or bragging or whatever it is suddenly is you realize is not a happy thing and never has been a happy thing and you're ready now to go beyond it. The third step, and you should not take this step until you have taken the first two and you feel comfortable with them and you understand the power of those first two steps, the ease of those first two steps is the Christian soldier step. It is to exert your will And there is a whole lesson in the Course in Miracles on this. The Course in Miracles is not devoid of this step. It does put the emphasis on the first two steps. So this means that you now see how unhappy this thing makes you. Flirting, whatever it may be, overeating, whatever the thing is that suddenly is not happy anymore. You don't like doing that. And so... To get past the last little bit of it, which may seem like a considerable amount, you now feel strong enough to do this. You now see fairly clearly that you can. And so you exert your will and do not allow yourself to do the thing that... Uh, so let's say, for example, that, uh, that you like to flirt and this causes your partner a great deal of unhappiness. And let's say that you've, you've been working on a holy relationship or a great love relationship with this person. Now, what will happen, as, as some of you have already begun to experience, is that as you begin to work on a great love relationship with another person, you will begin to feel their pains, which you did not feel before. You may have thought you intellectually <coughs> understood them, but in the beginning, we are so isolated that we do not feel the pain we cause another person. And one of the things that happens as you begin to work on a great love relationship with another individual, very gently and very gradually is, there is a stage in which you will both suffer at the same time. You will get sick at the same time with the same thing. You'll have dreams at the same time. Same kind of dream. And you won't be able to do anything that you're ready to give up and that will cause you a great deal of mental conflict without feeling the pain that you cause this other person when you do that. And so let's take, for example, flirting. So let's say that this has been a lifelong habit. Seems like an innocent thing to do. But suddenly you're feeling this great distress 
when you do this. There's a great conflict in you when you do this. And you rationalize about it, and you reason. You say, well, there shouldn't be any conflict. There's no harm in this. I'm not following up on this. I'm not acting this out. But nevertheless, there's the conflict. And so you know that by continuing to flirt, when you're with your partner, you're not going to get rid of it. And so you do the obvious thing. You exert your will and you stop flirting. Now, if you do this at too early a stage, you will have a sense of sacrifice and you will actually make the problem worse. But if you've laid the groundwork, first by watching it, seeing if it makes you happy, seeing if you really want to do this, and then avoiding the situations in which this is very likely to occur. And now you have a strength, and you can be a soldier. And it's okay to use your will in that way. How do you define cause in relationship to effect? Just in general? Right. How, who's causing it and so forth in a relationship? In the beginning, it seems like each person is causing separate problems. And so you've got two people, each of whom bring additional misery into the life of the other person. This is this is the this is the way this is the way most relationships begin. And uh, and so that's why the average relationship at this particular time in our history doesn't last more than a few months. Because the person says, I don't need this. <laughs> and they walk away from it. Now, if once a person has gotten beyond that particular stage, and they, they, there is some commitment there, and there is some mutuality, no matter how this is expressed, it doesn't need to be expressed by going to meetings together or using the same language or so forth, but there's some sort of heart commitment there to go on with this relationship. Then the perception begins to change and you actually realize that you both choose the problem at the same instant. This is not clear in the beginning. There is almost no evidence of this whatsoever in the beginning. But later you will see that actually anything that comes up, you have both quite deliberately set the thing up. You set it up and there it is right there so that one person looks like a victim and one person looks like the aggressor. And it's quite interesting to see how you've done this. You actually set the thing up, and you never saw that before. You did the thing that would cause the person to say such and such, so you could respond in such and such a way, and then there would be this big blow-up. But in the beginning, this is not clear at all. It seems like each person is separately causing certain problems. And so you want to get someone who will cause other problems. <laughs> Question concerning how to peacefully engage in the anti-nuclear issue. 
That's a real good question. You can peacefully do anything. You can peacefully do anything. This is very confusing. Most people cannot peacefully do certain things, but there will always be a few people who can... You can peacefully be an alcoholic, but there are very few people who can pull that off. <laughs> very few who can pull that off. But because there is one or two... This can be very confusing to the people who, uh, who can't pull it off. You can peacefully take up an issue of the world and fight for a certain side against other people. So you can take sides, and it is possible to go about that in a way that is peaceful and with goodwill in your heart and, and without rancor. The problem is that most people who, who, who start supporting a cause is that they now are looking at the world as good guys and bad guys. And it's very difficult for them to, to avoid blame and avoid bitterness. And although the cause itself may be quite worthy, there have been no end to the causes in our history. There have always been causes and issues. For example, if you look at the nuclear issue, we are talking about one weapon system. And everybody has now centered on this one weapon system. And, and there is almost a belief now that if we were to eliminate this one particular weapon system, there would be peace on this earth. And that, that, and that the possibility of annihilation would be over. Well, everyone knows that's ridiculous. There are, I don't know how many weapon systems on the drawing board now that has nothing to do with fission or fusion. It has to do with laser beams and sound waves and everything else that are every bit as, you know, you see what I mean? So, but that doesn't mean that we, it wouldn't be a good thing if we could eliminate uh, nuclear weapons because they are insane. And people see this. This is crazy what we're doing. And it is crazy. So if you can enter the thing and realize it's not going to make any difference, another system just going to, but it is something to do. It will cause, <laughs> it can bring about a temporary, it can bring about a temporary relief. It can relieve a little of the world's fear temporarily. It's not going to solve anything in the long run. And it's as good as anything else. I mean, it's just as good as doing your vegetable garden or uh, anything else. It doesn't matter what we do. And it's something you feel uh, strongly about, and it's something that makes you happy to do. You like working on this. You like saving the whales. And every once in a while, there is something that happens. A particular species of animal is suddenly saved. It's suddenly the world agrees to protect this species of animal. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. So, my advice would be, if you wish to do it, certainly do it. But see if you can do it in peace. And if you can't do it in peace, then you might want to ask yourself, is there something else you want to devote yourself to? Gail and I have been on a crisis line for a, <coughs> a long time. This actually solves nothing. This isn't going to keep the suicide. This isn't going to lessen the suicide calls or anything like that. But it was something, it was some way we could reach out and be of uh, temporary help and something that we liked doing. 
and it was it was better for us to do that than it was for us to uh, to sit around and roast marshmallows or something. It doesn't matter what you do in the world. And the peace of God does not require passivity. As a matter of fact, as we said, as we said many times here, you will actually take care of things more quickly and easily as the peace of God becomes more important to you. Because you will see that it makes other people happy for you to take care of it. And it would make a lot of people happy if the nuclear thing could be taken care of. But don't get caught up in a, a useless struggle. You're not going to uh, eliminate war. So if you realize that, you're just going out to be of help. Temporary help. This is the best you can do. And you've got to do something with your body. And this is the best thing that you can think to do with it. Then it will grind you and eat you up and make you this bitter person who can't see anything but this one issue. I mean, we've all, we all know people who are just absolutely caught up in one particular right. And you can't talk to them about anything because everything revolves around this one thing, you see. Don't let that happen to you. Can you speak about forgiveness? About forgiveness. The way home to God, the way home to the recognition of what you are and where you are, can be summed up in that one word, forgiveness. It is really the only thing that you have to do is to forgive. Begin with little forgivenesses. Never begin with the great, big, huge forgiveness that's needed. Begin with the little things you can forgive. That will give you encouragement. You will go out today and you will maybe you'll go to a restaurant and there will be little things to forgive while you're eating there in the restaurant. <laughs> now, just begin with those. Realize that this is within your capability to handle this. There will be little things said. There will be little things that will happen as you drive down the street. There will be little things even as you leave this room. Little encounters. Someone will say something to you and you will say something back and then your ego will say, gosh, you shouldn't have said it that way. Uh, you really should have said such and such to that person. Forgive yourself right there. A little forgiveness. Begin with the little ones. This is what lays the path you that's so pleasant to walk upon. The quick and easy way to forgive is to return your mind to this instant. To not conclude the line of thought that your ego has offered you. You do not have to eliminate the line of thought. In fact, you probably cannot do that at this point. So don't be discouraged because this thing comes up in your mind over and over again. But notice that it is a track of a certain length, this line of thought. 
this thing you can't forgive about what you just said or what happened 20 years ago or whatever the thing is. The potholes. We're all, we've all had to buy new tires recently because of the potholes. All right. What you do is you recognize that the ego is going to hand you this line of thought every time you drive down St. Francis. Uh, there will be the pothole line of thought that will be handed to you. Okay. They, they should put up reduced speed limit signs. They should. All this stuff will go on, you see in your mind. Realize that you can't do anything about that. That's, this, is, this is why people fail. Your ego wants you to fail. So your ego will suggest a way of forgiving that is impossible. <laughs> and it is impossible for you to keep the thought from coming to your mind at this point. There will be a time, of course, in which you'll, you'll know that you're the Christ. You will let that mind be in you, which was in Jesus. Your mind will be so still and so happy and so free that you won't want to think about this world. You have no interest to you to think about this world. You will go around helping people quickly without any calculation, without any hesitation. You will love. But you're not at that point yet. I'm not at that point yet. And so, you see the line of thought comes. Now your ego has, it's a track there. The line of thought has a track. It is going to take you down this track to misery. That's the end. At any point, if you can break the line of thought, you have made a real accomplishment. You have really helped yourself. You've increased your strength. You're a more forgiving person. You're further along on the path. You're closer to waking up. You're closer to being a truly kind, helpful, healing individual. If you will just break the line of thought, whenever you recognize. So it doesn't matter if it's been going on for three hours. If you say, ah, I'm going to get off the track right now. I'm not going to complete the thought. Use any trick not to complete it. Have something else ready to turn your thought to, if you wish. If you know that you're going to be assaulted by a particular thought today, then in the morning, have in place one or two things to which you can turn your mind. It makes no difference what they are. Maybe they're a, a poem. Uh, maybe it's a song. Maybe it's an exercise like the listing what's going on around you. Maybe it's an imagery. Maybe it's uh, deep breathing. Anything. It doesn't matter. Have it in place. Now the line of thought's there. Suddenly you're, ah, the line of thought. Without any argument, you turn your mind to what you have in place. This is what makes you happy doing this kind of thing. These little things. The way home is our little things. The way we keep from making any progress is trying to tackle big things. Do the little things and your heart will begin to sing. And you'll be so encouraged. God is with you. You're not this thing that was born a few years ago and has this miserable personality. <laughs> The world stinks. Now, everybody eventually gets to see this. What's happened at our particular time, at this particular time, 
in the world is we have gotten stuck at that. And so all the literature and all the movies and everything now says the world stinks. It's been saying that now for a couple of decades. And the news at night and everything. All right, it stinks. That's true. That is a perception and it's needed and you've got to see that. You've got to see how cruel this world is. You've got to see that this world is a product of the ego and it has no love. This is a world that was created without love. And you will eventually see that if you haven't seen it yet. It won't shimmer quite as... It will suddenly become very, very dark and you will be appalled at the loneliness around you and the cruelty and the selfishness. Now, your ego wants you to stay at that perception. It does not want you to move past that. It loves to dwell on the world stinks. It loves to write books and make commentaries and go over and find new ways and new ramifications and on and just talk endlessly about it. The ego lusts to hear how the world stinks. Don't get stuck there. See it and move on and say, yes, but it's a dream. That's all. It's perfectly innocent. It doesn't matter. Yes, it was made without love, but so what? And the way home is easy and simple. I know what to do. Let me begin. And you simply begin again. It is possible for me to be happy. And you try to be happy right there on the spot. Okay, I think we've got time for one more quick question. Yeah. Time after time, uh, in spite of our uh, best intentions, we seem to, the best we seem to do is repeat the uh, really destructive behavior patterns of our parents or other close teachers. Yeah. Have you got any methods for breaking that cycle? Well, the one that I've spoken of this morning is the best that I know of, which is whenever you see yourself acting the way you've always acted, or feeling the way you've always felt in a certain situation. Uh, it is just fine, and, and, and it can be extremely helpful to see the antecedents of this. But don't go looking for them. The thing that I've found is that you will suddenly see where this comes from, and this is a good thing to do. But to try to force yourself to analyze and figure out where this came from is usually misleading. It isn't a genuine insight. You can come up with things, and there can be some genuine insights that will flow from this process, especially if it's directed by someone who's very good at this. But generally speaking, if you see the antecedent, fine. If you don't see the antecedent, fine. Go ahead and return your mind to the present, because you exist in the present. That's all you're doing, is choosing between the present and the past. You exist in the present. Your imaginary identity exists in the past. And so every time you choose in any way to enter the present to any degree, you stop being yourself. You stop being this particular person with all with this name and all these traits and all this baggage and everything. And you stop the influence of all these people and what they did to you. Just by entering the present, you break the whole connection. You live in the present. You awake to the present. You will find that the present contains the kingdom of heaven. You will find that the present is a place so vast, 
and so free and so bright and so filled with love that once you begin to enter it, you will never want to go back to the slaughterhouse that you came from. And now you will be in a position to help people. And you won't need credit for it. And you won't have to get famous or make money from it. And even that stage, we are told, will not last very long at all in which you join your brothers and sisters who have laid aside their egos and are helping the world right now. You will join them. And that will last for just a little bit. And finally, the last few brothers and sisters will awake and we will see our oneness and we will see that we love each other and we'll see that we don't want to be different from each other. And we will see it's okay to be happy and we don't need misery breaks. <laughs> And we'll be alive, and it's all in the present. So practice the present today. Again and again, return to it. And watch your spirits begin to soar.